Good morning, everybody. Uh, please take out your Bibles and turn with me to the book of First John. First John, we have been on this journey through the book of First John over the last six weeks. This is week number six in this series, believe it or not. Where does time go? Um, my son kind of peeled that off of me and put it back on. There you go. Um, in this series called That You May Know, John's John's concern in writing this letter to a church, and if you remember, it was a church divided. The church had splintered. Uh, There was a a kind of a a movement within the church that said, you know, we have this special revelation that takes us beyond Jesus, takes us past Jesus. And Jesus is kind of step one, the special knowledge is step two, and if you get to step two, you'll be enlightened and all of that. And so John is, is writing to that to kind of call that and say, no, no, no. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, he is the center of our faith and life together. And so he's calling people back to that, to just uh, to be anchored in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And his, his kind of main concern is saying, like, Jesus has given us life. It's life that is true and is abundant and is eternal. And so in just a couple of chapters, in chapter 5, we'll get to this passage where he says, Uh, I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's kind of been the the thing that this series has built around is John making his case that life is in Jesus and in us if we receive Jesus. So let's take a look at where we picked up, uh, we'll pick up where we left off last week in 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 11. I'm just going to read this. It's kind of a long passage of Scripture, uh, chapter 3, verse 11, through chapter 4, verse 6. And when we listen to long, we're not really used to doing this in any other context of like just sitting and like listening to something being read to us unless you're in kindergarten. Um, And then we would have pictures and you would read like this. I never figured out how to read like this exactly. But um, this is the way the early church would have heard this letter. The, the letters come from the apostles, and they would have got them, and the church gathers, and they read them together in the gathered community. And so they would have read the whole thing cover to cover. And so, so there's something powerful about listening to God's word being spoken um, that, uh, that hopefully just connects us with those original hearers this morning. So let's, let's listen. Verse 11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Well, because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. And anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in them. So uh, we'll get to this in a little bit, but he's just saying like, so there's this this love that is evidence of life in Christ. um, And to to hate is is to actually commit murder. It's to to want another person dead. And anybody who is living in this place of wanting to murder another person does not have eternal life living in them in that moment. Uh, It's not to say murderers can't be redeemed, can't receive eternal life. It's to say that spirit that they're living with is not the spirit of Christ. So let's, let's go on. 
Now, this is how we know what love is. Love is just not some amorphous sort of feeling we're left to figure out on our own. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity, no compassion on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, which is cheap, but with actions and in truth. Let's jump to verse 23. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he has given us. Dear friends, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world And this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore they speak from a viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. But we're from God and whoever knows God listens to us and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So let's kind of just sort of plot out a little bit of where John takes us. He starts by saying, here's the message. The message is love. You've had this message from the beginning. Love each other. Nothing new. And then he says, there are two ways of seeing the world. There's the old way and the new way. The old way is the way of Cain. He takes us back to the story of Cain and Abel, who kills his brother, makes his whole case about murder. But then he says, the opposite of that is Christ. Christ actually giving his own life. Not taking life, but giving his life. And then if we receive Christ, we can be brought from death to life filled with his spirit that is inside of us, but not every spirit that's at work in the world is from God. So we would do well as a church to test, to discern, does this spirit line up with the person of Jesus, the example of Jesus given in Scripture, or not? That's kind of the movement. Does that make sense? So what we're going to do, somebody please nod your head. So, okay, okay, excellent. So we're, we're just going to walk through this because I think this word is... It can be fresh. It can be that God has a fresh word for us through this scripture this morning. So, verse 11. Here's a message you've heard, and you've heard it from the beginning. Love each other. Now, John is the apostle of love, right? This is, like, he's, this is what he's known for. He's the apostle of love. That His message is this. Love each other. Love each other. And we, we've covered this in the last few weeks. You remember a couple of weeks ago when we said, like, John saying, hey, here's the new command, but it's not actually a new command, it's an old command, because you've had it from the beginning, but it's not actually old because it needs to be made new, and it's to love each other. Remember that? Okay, I won't take you back through it all. He said, here's the message. The message is really simple. It's really simple, and its foundation is to love each other. Just love each other. And he says, you've actually heard this message from the very beginning. Now, that's interesting. What does John mean when he says this has been the message from the very beginning? The beginning of what? Is it the beginning of the church? Like the the beginning of Christ and, you know, sort of birthing this movement called the church? The beginning of that? Or is it the beginning of the world? Like the very beginning of creation? And I think we could answer yes. 
Absolutely. It's, it's the beginning of both, of the church, because what the church is, is a picture of the world reconciled to God. What we are as a church is we are the world, those who have kind of lived in the world but have received Christ, and we are a picture of the world reconciled to Christ, a picture of what it looks like when the world um, is reconciled to God through Jesus. And so John takes us all the way back to the foundations of the world, and he says, this is the message. It's always been the message from the very beginning to love one another, but there's a problem, and the problem hangs on the person of Cain, he says. Like, there is this world of Cain. There is this way of, 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 like, living in this world that is in line with the person of Cain. Now, who is Cain? Well, he was one of the first brothers. Genesis chapter 4. Story of Cain and his brother Abel. Right? His first brothers. And uh, Cain, it says that his heart was, was corrupted. He, he chose the path of sin. And sin, as we talked about last week, is rebellion. It's, it's an act of rebellion against God. Sin is pretending that God is not there and is not good and is not with us. Every time we sin, think about this for a second, every time we sin, we are in essence in that moment pretending as if God was not there with us. Because if we realize that God was there with us in that moment, the temptation to think that thing, do that thing, say that thing, treat that person that way would disappear, right? I mean, so, so that's what sin is. It's pretending like God doesn't see this. I'm just going to whoop, going to sort of hide over here and whatever it is I want to do. Sin leads to this place of alienation where we are separated from God. We turn our backs on God. And this is the path Cain chose. And God came to him and said, no, 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 don't do this. Like, it's going to destroy you. And he chose to keep his back turned to God and keep pursuing this. Because he was separated from God, he felt this jealousy toward his brother who was more righteous than him. How many of you know that when our hearts aren't right with God, it manifests itself a lot of times in jealousy? We start being jealous of like those people and and the way their life is going and the peace that they have. We start to like, oh, there can be this seed of jealousy. And jealousy, if we stick with it, it'll take us to anger and anger will take us to hatred. And Jesus says hatred is murder. This is the path we run on. Jealousy to anger, anger to hatred, hatred to murder. Jesus, remember his words in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, when he says, now, like, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, don't, uh, don't murder, don't, don't, don't kill, but I tell you, don't be angry with your brother or sister because anger is this first fruit that leads to murder. So as a church, one of the ways of just kind of applying this as we, as we think about it is to just say, God, would you search me And would you put your finger on any place in my life where there is jealousy, any place where there is anger, that I've I've sort of like created the safe harbor for anger, where there's hatred, or or maybe where there's like this wishing somebody else was dead. I would never go through with it, but I wish that person was out of my life. And and so to, to kind of purge that. Now here's the problem is sometimes Christians, anger is the sin that we like, we we like. We kind of say, you know what? Anger is helpful because it motivates me to do good things. It's righteous indignation, right? That's what it is. It's righteous indignation. I should be mad at this thing. The problem with that is that we have no justification for that from the New Testament. And I can say that with with certainty, that there is no place in the New Testament that says, 
harbor righteous indignation and use it to work toward the mission of God. That verse is not found in the Bible. And every place except for one in the New Testament says, drop your anger, get rid of your anger, purge it from your life. Anger has no place in the life of a follower of Christ. But there's one place in Ephesians 4 where the Apostle Paul says this, in your anger, some of you know it, do not sin or sin not. Aha! I can be angry, I just won't sin when I'm angry. So we separate those two things out. So I'm going to hold on to my anger, but I'm just not going to sin. I'm not going to go through with it. But then the next verse, the last part of the verse says, but don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. The only place in the New Testament that says, okay, anger, sin, maybe you can separate those out, says, but first thing you do with it when you know it's there is drop it. Is don't let the sun go down. Don't let today end while anger has a place in your life. Why not? Because it will give the devil a foothold. Right? So we have to like, just to be honest, to say like, maybe we've allowed anger, maybe we've allowed judgment, maybe we've allowed jealousy and hatred to have a place in our lives. And in this moment, we just ask God, would you take this from me? As Christians, we don't pretend it's not there. There are some things that like, uh, make us angry. But Dallas Willis says, anything we can do with anger, we can do much better without it. So we release the anger. We say, God, it's here. I feel this. I'm angry. I release it to you. Please take it from me and give me your peace. Give me your peace. So uh, this is the story of Cain. Cain and Abel, these first two brothers. Think about this story for a second. Um, Anybody know what Cain's occupation was from the story if you've read it in Genesis 4? He's a farmer. Yes. Specifically, he cultivated the soil. Yeah, he was, he was, he was a farmer. Um, so cultivated this plot of ground and grew crops. Anybody know what Abel's occupation was? What was it? Yes, yeah, he was a shepherd. He had herds. And so think about this for a second. Cain um, cultivates the soil. Abel has herds. What do you do when you have herds? You have these herds of sheep. Is it a flock of sheep or a herd of sheep? Somebody help me out. I don't want to sound stupid. It's a flock of sheep herd of goats? Is that right? Sheep and goats? Okay. All right. I don't know. I'm a city slicker. Um, so if you have these flocks, herds, what do you do? You graze them, right? So you have to move from green pasture to green pasture to make sure you have enough food, right? You, you want lots of space so you can move them around. And as your flocks and herds grow, you need more and more space. What happens when you're a farmer? Well, you're not moving from place to place. You have this plot of ground. This is your territory. And you pour yourself into cultivating and and making this plot of ground the best that it can possibly be. And as your productivity grows, you you expand. And all of a sudden, there can be this clash that says, like, wait a second, the moment land ownership is introduced into the biblical story, there's conflict introduced into the biblical story. The moment we can say, this is my land, here are the boundaries, this is mine, then all of a sudden land can be coveted and it can be fought over. How many of our families have experienced this? That there's brokenness, there's tension. That Cain and Abel is kind of our story over, over whose land is it. So what does Cain do? He takes his brother where? Into the field out into the field where their conflict is, and he kills him, and he hides his body, and he lies to God about it, lies to himself. God finds out about it, says, uh, Abel's blood cries out to me from the ground. 
And God comes and punishes him, makes him leave the Garden of Eden, that area. And it says, the text says this, that Cain goes eastward and he starts the first city. Human civilization. He starts the first city. Human civilization is built on the way of Cain. It says, this is mine, this is my territory, and those of you who are bumping up against me, my brothers, even though we're made in God's image, I can call you an enemy, and I can hurt you and kill you and shove you aside if I have the power to do that. How many of you know this is human history? How many of you have ever taken human history, like a world civilizations class in your life? How many of you like, like history or you watch the History Channel? Anybody? Nobody. You're killing me, people. All right, okay, a couple of you. Um, what is it when you study world history? What are you studying? Who fought who over what territories at what time in what wars? It is the story of Cain and Abel put on repeat ad nauseum. This is a story, the story of the world of Cain, and this is the world that Jesus has come to redeem. This way of turning our brothers into enemies who we're willing to kill. The Bible didn't start with Cain. It started with an exceedingly good God who created the very good world, putting human beings, those made in his image, in charge of taking care of it, stewarding it. And those people would recognize that they're all part of the same human family. They're all part of God's family created in his image, and we would value that image of God in each and every person. That was the beginning. It wasn't division. It was unity. But under Cain, under the influence of the Satan, the accuser, went against the grain of God's good world, and he spilled human blood, the blood of his brother. But this is the reason Jesus has come in the flesh, to redeem us from the world of Cain. And Jesus refounded the world around the basis of forgiveness and love and peace. And he did it. Jesus overcame the world, not in the way of Cain, the methods of Cain, by the old way of spilling human blood through violence, but he did it through allowing his own blood to be shed. That God Almighty became flesh and allowed his own blood to stain the soil of his good world, to expose the ugliness of jealousy and hatred, violence and sin, and to redeem us from it and to invite us into a renewed world founded on and around Christ called the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? So we have the world of Cain and the kingdom of Christ, and we have a choice says, how are we going to live in this world? Are we going to live the old way? Are we going to follow Cain down the broad road that leads to destruction? Or will we give our allegiance to Jesus and follow him down the narrow path that leads to life? What will we do? What will we do? This is the choice before us, John says. And he says this, he says, but we are the church and we have crossed over from death to life. We have been brought out of this old world into a brand new way of living in the world. You've crossed over from death to life. How many of you know John got it backwards? What do you mean you've crossed from death to life? You're living, we're all living, and then we will die someday, right? Everybody knows this. You live first, that's, not, that's the first step, and then we will all sort of at some point die and be buried. So you live and then you die. That's how we understand life. But John says, hold on a second, that's not exactly the way we see it. But there's a way of living that is the way of death. 
And it's the way of Cain. It's the way alienated from God. And, and, and Jesus, what he's come to do is to move us from this way of life that is actually death into this brand new life, true, abundant, and eternal life in Christ. And it happens when we surrender our lives to Christ. This is what the Apostle Paul says, moving from death to life, passing from one to the other. Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit that is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath, of punishment. Why? Because we were going against the grain of love of God's good world. But because, somebody say, but because... But because of his great... Jesse talked about the big butts of the Bible a couple weeks ago. Am I allowed to... This is, this is unbelievable. But because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in the kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. And if we were a Pentecostal church, right? So we get excited about being moved from death to life, this place of alienation, this place of, uh, of hatred, violence, and oppression into a new world called the kingdom of Christ that is founded on love and grace and peace in the person of Jesus. This is, it's all a gift. It's a gift from God. It is God coming in the flesh in Jesus and, and inviting us into this new way. And when we do, when we cross from death to life, the evidence of that crossing, do you know what it is? Love. The evidence of receiving that gift is just, it's love. It's, it's that we learn to see every person. We used to regard people from a worldly point of view. We used to ask them, hey, what country are you from? What territory do you live in? What flag sort of flies over this land? Where, where are you from? What color is your skin? What language do you speak? We used to see everybody from a worldly point of view. But now we see everybody from a Jesus-centered point of view. And what was Jesus willing to do? He was willing to shed his blood even for his enemies. This is the kingdom of Christ. It's love. And it just gets expressed in these really concrete ways. Because Jesus came in the flesh, our love gets expressed in the flesh. John won't let us like, just sort of stick with this, like, oh, I, I just love everybody. I love everybody. He says, okay, but here's the deal. If you see a brother and sister in need and you don't have compassion on them and, and help meet that need, how can the love of God be in us? Like, it's really dangerous to be a pastor, because I can, there's lots of words and speech that happens. Oh, we can talk about love, we can talk about doing all this good stuff. But if I don't leave here and live in the flesh in the way of love, then I'm probably doing more harm than good. If we come and we rally around Jesus and we sing these songs, the Lamb has overcome, and we leave and love isn't the essence of our life, and it isn't the evidence that we've been redeemed by Christ, then we may be doing more harm than good. This is, this is the evidence John points to. He says, this is the thing that everyone sees. Do we love? Do we love? John says there's a conflict between the old world, the world of Cain, and the kingdom of Christ. There's a conflict. How many of you feel that? There's a conflict. And he says, don't be surprised if the world hates us because it's always hated Abel. 
It's always hated Christ, so don't be afraid if it hates us. But don't be afraid either, because the one who is in you is greater than the one that is in the world. The Lamb has overcome. So, if the church is to be a picture of the world reconciled to God, living out the kingdom of Christ, then brothers and sisters, we got some work to do. And not just at Journey Mennonite Church, but the church. The body of Christ. How, anybody know how many denominations there are around the world? Give or take a thousand. Anybody know? Anybody want to venture a guess? I think we did this a few months ago, so maybe you remember. If you have a good memory. Does anybody pay attention in these mornings? Anybody want to take a guess? How many do you think? How many de- de- Christian denominations around the world? 5,000. 5, Way up. More? Oh, not quite that many. Somebody say 40,000? 43,000 Christian denominations around the world today. Give or take 1,000. Right? 43,000! Do you remember Jesus' last prayer, like in John 17, when he says he's praying for his disciples, his believers, those who have crossed from death to life, and those who, through their message of discipleship, will cross from death to life? He says, I pray that they would be one. Like that, as Father, as you are in me and I am in you, that their love that they have for one another would just be evident to everyone else in the world. It would be the evidence that they have been redeemed. And we have 43,000 denominations. Anybody know what Tuesday is? Today, Halloween. Yes, of course, it's Halloween. What else is Tuesday? The 500th anniversary of Martin Luther dressing up as a 16th century German monk for Halloween and and nailing his 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg University. Martin Luther, 500 years ago, this Tuesday, it's crazy, right? Where does time go? Um, It seemed like just yesterday. So Martin Luther, when he does this, when he says he has these huge issues with the Catholic Church and all the corruption... Uh, and, and there was significant corruption in the Catholic Church. Anybody know how many denominations, Christian denominations, there were 500 years ago when he did this? Two. The Eastern Orthodox and the Roman Catholic. Two. Martin Luther, as an act of protest against the corruption in the Catholic Church, nails his grievances to the door, and it was that nail, that sort of the fracture that that caused, that allowed the splintering into 43,000 denominations we have around the world today. Now, Luther had great ideas. He, he starts reading the scripture and he says, like, there are problems with the church establishment. And he, like, mostly, if you know anything about Martin Luther, you, you know maybe the solas. It's this Latin word for only. Um, Christ alone, through faith alone, scripture alone. Next slide here. The solas. Um, grace alone. And so he he's, he's like wants to just drill down to say, here's the essence, and we have all this other sort of stuff, institutionalism that has to be done away with in the Catholic Church. And, and, and every follower of Jesus needs to know that they are a priest, that they can speak for God in their communities. And so he's passionate about this, and he should have been passionate about this. And, and so it, it causes, we call this movement the Great Protestant Reformation. It's protest. And the spirit of protest 
has been the thing that has animated the church for the last 500 years. Protesting each other. And it's not necessarily the problem, though. There are 43,000 denominations. It's often the hatred, the anger, the jealousy, the competition that exists between us. That's a problem. Martin Luther um, and his followers and other reformers, um, a man named Ulrich Zwingli, who were, um, he was working in Geneva while Luther's in Germany. And we talk, again, we talked about this a couple months ago, but since you didn't remember, I'll just go over this again. Um, so they're, they're on the same team, right? I mean, they're, they're working for, toward the same goals. And they get together. They say, can we, can we agree to just work together? And they say, here's the thing. Okay, let's like figure out what do we believe? What do you believe about Jesus? Okay, I believe that too. What do you believe about the Bible? Okay, I believe that too. What do you believe about the nature of the church? Okay, good. 14 points of theological agreement. Point number 15 is communion. What's the nature of communion? Now, in the Catholic Church, they believed the, bo- the, 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 the wheat thins and the grapes actually, if you were in here for the story, um, became the blood and body of Christ. It's called transubstantiation. Use that around the water cooler this week. It actually becomes the body and blood of Christ. That's a Catholic doctrine. Luther said, no, 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 it's not the actual body and blood of Christ. It's, it's like, but Christ is there. He is in, with, and under the elements. He's especially present. Zwingli said, no, you're not moving far enough. It's just a, mem- it's a memorial. It's a celebration. And Zwingli and Luther are so sort of uh, polarized by this one, this 15th point that they couldn't agree on that they walk away from each other never to reconcile. And Luther famously says, I would rather drink blood with the Pope than wine with the Swiss. And it's that spirit of protest, the spirit that says, you know what, we're going to believe the right things and we're going to be passionate about our beliefs, but love is not going to animate our actions. Love, the love of Christ isn't going to be the thing that holds us, the way that we speak, the way that we treat each other, that I think has fractured the church for the last 500 years. But there are signs of incredible hope. Um, this lady, Phyllis Tickle, and others, it's an unfortunate name, um, But she and others have recognized that there is this pattern in the church that every 500 years the church reinvents itself. That the winds of the Spirit blow. Now this is exciting. Every 500 years the winds of the Spirit blow and and she says the church kind of has this rummage sale. Says there are some things that have served us for the last while that they don't serve us anymore, and God does something. If you go back 500 years, you get to Martin Luther. You go 500 years before that, you get the Great Schism, uh, the separation of East and West. 500 years before that is the fall of Rome and what's called the Great Consolidation. And 500 years before that is Jesus, the coming of Christ. We are living in this moment of incredible change. And, and it's just happening. And we don't have sort of a choice in it of if it's going to happen, but we get a choice on how we respond to it. And one of the beautiful signs that I see happening around us is that the church is moving toward each other in unity. That there are these signs, that there are these prayer gatherings happening um, at Central Christian, right? Pulling people from denominations, across denominations, coming together. Last week was the first one. And there'll be more that there was a unity service this last week in Hutchinson. These are just these little signs of the church moving toward each other. The Pope invited 300, for Pentecost this year, the Pope invited 300 charismatic and evangelical leaders to the Vatican to celebrate Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. Um, In the last couple of decades, there have been denominations, Lutherans and Reformed Church, 
and Mennonites who, who there's been rep- repentance and reconciliation for the violence that was done to one another. What would happen if over the next 500 years we would see a great reformation? That the church as the body of Christ would move toward each other in love and grace and peace. That we would, we would refuse the world of Cain and we would move toward each other because we are the evidence of the kingdom of Christ, of the world being founded on the example of Christ. This is my hope and prayer and I would love for you to join me in the hope and prayer. How do we live out love? Even love for our brothers and sisters who are different from us, who disagree with us on certain things, but can we love and honor each other because this will be the evidence to the world of the power of Christ. God, we ask that your spirit, that the winds of your spirit would blow. And we don't know exactly where they're going. We don't know what you're doing, but God, we know that we want to be a part of it. And God, so we... We are so grateful that you have brought us from death to life, that you have redeemed us by Jesus, that you have, have taken the old way of seeing other people and you have, and you are, even now, God, you're, you're reforming us. So God, we pray for your church around the world, these 43,000 of us who have said yes to you, who when you set the bread and the wine in front of them, they're going to take it we recognize and we rally around your body and your blood broken. God, may we be one as you and your Father were one. God, help us. Help us in this. Let your Spirit move in us. Purge from us any jealousy, any hatred, um, any anger. God, we surrender it to you. And we ask, God, that you would just make us more and more into people who look and act and live like Jesus. This is our prayer.